Hey everybody, surprise, it's bonus episode time. Welcome to a paranormal road trip. We are surprising you with this bonus episode to celebrate October Eve. So happy October Eve to all of our spooky-minded road trip buddies out there. This episode is our second exclusive content episode. It's one of our mini murder sodes. These are available to our patrons twice a month. If you're interested in learning more about how to become a patron and the other stuff that you get, head over to aparanormalroadtrip.com, click the support tab, and you can get all the details there. So without further ado, let's roll the episode. This really is the Brooke Show. Brooke Show. Or it's the second, but it's my first mini murder sode. Welcome back, everybody. Hey, how are ya? And Sam's here. Hi, Sam. Oh, oh, okay. I didn't know if I was a lot on the Brooke Show. Brooke Show, otherwise known as the uh, Paranormal Road Trip Podcast. This is our exclusive bonus content. This is where we talk murders at you. We get to to dabble in our fascination with true crime. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Sam. I wasn't going to leave you out. I mean, I didn't get to oons, oons, oons. You can oonst, oonst whenever you want to. Oh, okay. As long as it's not when I don't want you to. Oh, typical sibling for you. I do what I want because I'm the oldest. Mm -hmm. Without further ado, if you're ready, I'm ready to talk murder. Let's hear your murder. This is the Skidmore, Missouri, a town of secrets, the murder of Ken Rex McElroy. McElroy? McElroy. Sounds like old timey name. Old-timey-ish for all the millennials out there, but not so old-timey for the rest of us. Uh, Here she goes on millennials again. I'm technically a millennial, but like you younger millennials. This story caught my ear when Andy, the boyfriend, mentioned that a buddy of his dad was in a docu-series that was out on Sundance called... No one saw a thing. Now, I love a good docu-series, and I love a good title, and this one had both, and it's from Missouri, and I'm here for it. Are you here for it? Are you ready? I am partially in the car. I'll debate on the way. Perfect. I live in Kansas City. It's the largest city in Missouri, so when I heard the name Skidmore, I thought first, where? And then second, that it must be somewhere in the Ozarks. Not that Missouri is incredibly populous, but anytime there's a random small town, it always ends up being down in the Ozark part of the state. I was wrong. Mr. Google quickly showed me that this tiny town of right around 250 people now sits about two hours north of me. So it's actually pretty close to where I am. And you can find it if you squint really hard at a map in Nottoway County, there you will find this mini little microscopic town of Skidmore. Oh, wait. Did you just say Nottoway, like, going to sleepy, nod, nodding away? Yes, Nottoway, like, hunt, shoo, sneezing, shoo, shoo, snoring, not sneezing. I see. Yes. Okay. Nottoway County. I did try to find 
other facts about this small little community. But really, what Skidmore is known for and what's interesting is that there's not that many people in this area, but it's known for some crazy true crime elements. The only other fact I could find is that they used to have a pumpkin, pumpkin, not pumpkin, a pumpkin show up until about 15 years ago. So a pumpkin show Uh and crazy true crime. That's what you have going on in this area. Those true crime elements, and oh my gosh, are there so many of them. Some of those include a pregnant woman who was attacked in her home by this crazy lady who killed the pregnant woman and then cut out her baby and took the baby with her and tried to pass the baby off as her own. That's one of the crazy true crimes. There's a kid who goes out to the shed to return, I think, jumper cables or a hose or something. And then poof, vanished, never to be seen again. And then there's this other woman who was stomped to death, I believe in a field, by her boyfriend. And that's just like the tip of the iceberg. We're not even covering any of those today. Today, we are tackling this town of secrets, a town who collectively shrugged and said, I don't know, I didn't see anything. We are talking about the murder of Ken Rex McElroy little bit of history on Ken. He was born June 1st, 1934. He was the 13th of 14th kiddos to parents Tony and Mabel McElroy. Didn't do so hot in school, struggled quite a bit, dropped out in the eighth grade at the age of 15. Allegedly, his father was abusive. There were a lot of mouths to feed growing up. So food was pretty scarce. So he grew up from being this kid who kind of had to fight for everything, even food, to being just a holy terror in this small community. The town of Skidmore was terrified of him, like completely just terrified. When he came into town, the residents left the town, went home, and locked their doors. And this was during a time where in small towns, you know, they didn't really lock their doors, which always is just mind-boggling to me. But when Ken Rex McElroy was around, people made sure that their doors were locked. And even law enforcement was a little unsure of Ken. Local Kirby Gosley said, quote, Our law enforcement never went after him very hard. The son of a bitch would just as soon shoot them as anyone else. Huh. It's never a good sign when the police force, which is the sheriff's department, is a little uneasy about you. What are the residents supposed to do if the police aren't handling business? Uh, revolt. And they do. Okay. You just wait. Ken was a big guy, about six foot three, 250 pounds. He had jet black hair and these gigantor long sideburns. Hello, early 1980s. His eyes were blue and described as piercing and cold. He was just a huge, ominous force to be reckoned with, and people did not want to mess with him at all. He had over 20 criminal indictments. 20. Wow. Oh, buckle up, because talking about these gets a little bit messy. His felony... All right. So his felony accusations include assault. Trigger warning, just as we list through these, we're not going in detail, but just in case. So assault, child molestation, statutory rape, arson, hog and cattle rustling. 
What? Yes. Okay, so I live just a quick day trip away from this town. And again, Missouri, middle of the country, farm, blah, blah, blah. And I had to look up what this was. So basically, it's the theft or stealing of like a pig or a cow or whatever. So if you're rustling some farm animals, I thought you'd be like wrestling them, like hog tying them. No, apparently you're just stealing them. Interesting. So stealing of livestock and then also burglary. Then, so those are kind of the general things. Now we get a little more specific. Specifically, there was a run-in with a local resident that ended in gun violence. This resident is Romaine Henry. He came face-to-face with Ken, the big town bully, on July 7th, 1976 on Henry's own land. So McElroy is approached by Henry. He's like, hey, dude, what are you doing on my property? So Ken's logical response is to shoot the man who just approached him because he is trespassing. Right. As you do. The landowner, Romaine Henry, he survives, but carries with him through the rest of his life, buckshot in his abdomen from that encounter. Because they didn't want to remove it? I think with the buckshot, because it's a bunch of tiny little pellets, they can't get it all out. And I think in some cases, they opt to leave it in because it's not really going to do a ton of damage once it's already in there. Maybe you just calcify it. Huh. Okay. Right. They they fixed the damage and then some of the buckshot still remained. The town was thinking, so finally, there's going to be some justice because this Ken character, he's always getting arrested. He's always getting caught. But then he always manages to get out of it. And in this case, there's no denying. He shot Romaine Henry in the stomach He has charges filed against him. But again, Ken manages to slip through the fingers of the law by providing fake witnesses who say that it could not have been Ken who did the shooting because he was at home with these other guys during that time. And so he the jury found him not guilty, even though Romaine was like, no, no, he did it. Oh, you must have been confused. It wasn't him. What does Romaine know? Right, dum-dum. He knows nothing, but he got away with quite a bit. So along with a violent streak, Ken had a taste for younger girls, with the average age of his girlfriends being around 14. Keep in mind, he's in his 40s or 50s. He ended up fathering at least 10 children, had five wives, And it's thought that he was married to two women at the same time, including Trina McLeod, who Ken began seeing when she was just 14. But some articles I read said she could have been as young as 12 when he started, I'm using air quotes, dating her. Mm -hmm. Trina plays a role in this story moving forward. Hopefully she hired the murderer. She what? Hopefully she hires the murderer. Hires him to do what? Kill him. To kill himself? Yeah. I, no. Trina starts seeing Ken, who is three times her age. Uh, she starts skipping school to spend time with him. And at one point, Trina accuses Ken of raping her. 
She later tells police she lied because she was jealous that Ken was still seeing his wife and hadn't left his wife to be with her. So she recanted her statement about allegedly being raped by Ken. It's rumored that when the McLeods, so Trina's parents, would not give their permission for Ken to marry Trina, he burned down their freaking house. Wow. Yeah. It's a little extreme. Now, Trina said, uh, maybe it was just faulty wiring. Most in the town believe that it was arson committed by Ken. It's also believed that this little peach of a guy shot the McLeod's dog, killing it as revenge to the family. Tim's such a great guy. It doesn't get any better. Mm -hmm. Eventually, Trina gets pregnant at around the age of 16, though some of the articles say 14, and she drops out of school. Then Ken and Trina slip over to Kansas to get married because apparently whatever age she was was legal for them to get married without parental signature in Kansas. And now this makes it so that Trina cannot testify against Ken in any pending case or if the state decided to pursue the rape allegations. Now, doesn't matter. She does not have to testify against him. So he's married Trina. There's a witness there that can no longer testify. He also hired a big shot attorney from Kansas City named Rachel. Nope. Richard. Richard. Richard? Richard McFadden. And Ken used this attorney's trickery to avoid a lot of convictions. And when he wasn't using the attorney to kind of get away with things, he resulted and went back to using just fear. Witnesses would get assaulted by Ken or his friends. Ken's brown and tan Chevy truck would be spotted lurking outside people's homes and work so to intimidate them to not testify or not press charges. He would just go right up to them face to face, point a gun in their face, and just let them know that he would kill them before he would let them testify against him. He'd burn down people's houses. He stalked them. He's a winner. He threatened their businesses. I mean, he just terrorized these people. So not only is he committing goodness knows how many crimes, then when somebody finally has the nerve to press charges, he then torments them until they get scared and back out or intimidate other people to corroborate his story that he had nothing to do with it and that he was, I don't know, at home making a sandwich at the time. Sure he was. He was hungry. He's a grown boy. The thing is, this town is terrified of him. He doesn't really have friends necessarily. He has these wives. He has children that love him because, I mean, it's, it's still your dad. And I did not find any account where he was abusive to his children, though it was rumored that he was abusive to the wives, but there were no charges filed. So there is a total of 21 indictments against Ken. He avoided being convicted each and every time except for one, and that was the last indictment. This indictment ends up, in my opinion, kind of being the straw that broke the camel's back. It was the tipping point in this town. The events leading up to this last felony began on April 25th, 1980, when two girls, one's a teenager, one's a kiddo, enters a grocery store where somehow 
The kids interpret that the store owner is accusing them of trying to steal some candy. I don't know if they actually were. The store owner said it was a misunderstanding. Well, the girls go home to their mother, Trina McElroy. Trina goes into mama bear mode. I guess as you would. I guess if Gabriel was accused of stealing candy, I would be like, why were you trying to steal candy? But no, no. Trina then goes to the grocery store to confront the owner. The owner tries to explain, Trina, this is just a misunderstanding. We were not accusing the girls of doing anything. Trina is not happy with their response. And she lets them know that they are now going to be dealing with Ken Rex McElroy and that nobody wants that. And he's already shot somebody and got away with it. It just astonishes me the amount of stuff he has been able to to get away with up to this point. This begins a stretch of time when Ken confronts the store owner, stalks them at their home, creepily rolls by the grocery store. He is just tormenting them for having the audacity to have a misunderstanding with his children. How dare them? And it all kind of gets to a violent boiling point on July 8th. So about three months later, a little less than three months later, when store owner, 70-year-old Ernest Bow Bowenkamp, was sitting in the alley behind the store, kind of relaxing, Ken drives up in his pickup and shoots Bow in the freaking neck, leaving him for dead. All over freaking a candy misunderstanding. Thankfully, somebody happens along Bow, who is laying on this dock area, bleeding out, and Bo is, through gasping breaths, telling this person who shot him. So it seems pretty cut and dry. Another person, as long as they live, can testify and say, Ken did this to me. Ken claims that he was just defending himself against then 70-year-old Bo, who came at him with a knife. Well, Bo was feisty in his 70 years of age. Right, exactly. Bo lives... And he decides he is going to press charges against Ken. And the town is like, finally, we are going to have justice. And this dirtbag is no longer going to terrorize our small little community. So between the time that Ken is arrested to the trial, the Bowen camps are completely terrorized. Their daughter, Joyce Monet, remembers, quote, There were so many nights dad couldn't go out and mow the yard or water the flowers because there was a truck parked down the street and they were watching the house. McElroy would just sit and glower at you, just stare at you, and you'd never know what he was thinking. Creep. Not friendly at all. Mm Mm-hmm. And totally creepy because Ken seemed to be completely obsessed with knowing where the Bowen camps were, what they were doing, who they were having contact with, going as far as to pay town children for information. So complete little kids like, hey, I'll give you whatever if you let me know when the Bowen camps leave their house. And this was so well known that the Bowen camps and residents got kind of crafty with coming up with their own code to relay information, like sending children to buy paper towel as a signal to call the police. Huh. So they had to have freaking codes to protect themselves because Ken had all these little poor children working as his spies. Unless they're crafty enough to be like, the bird flies at night. Right. 
paper towel, called the police. Unlike every other time, Ken was charged and then convicted of second-degree assault and was given the maximum sentence of two years in jail. But the judge decided to release Ken on $40,000 bail bond while the appeals process played out. Are you kidding me? This guy has been arrested so many times, but I guess he's never been convicted. But the judge is like, nah, it's cool. It's cool. Even though you assaulted somebody, you're appealing with your big time Kansas City lawyer. So you can just go free. Well, he's just misunderstood. Mm. Yeah, but you know what? Now that he's out on bond, he's back to his old intimidation tactics. He's <laughs> going as far as to go to a local tavern called the D&G Tavern, armed with a rifle, including an attached bayonet, threatening to finish the job he started on bow. Like, he's all kinds of pissed off about this 70-year-old man. Well, I mean, the 70-year-old man technically got the jump on him. Mm-hmm. Yep. With that knife that was never found at the scene. The residents who were in the D&G tavern when Ken went in there running his mouth about finishing the job decided to testify in hopes that this would be the final straw with the legal system and finally get Ken put behind bars. So the morning of July 10th, 1981, Ken should have been in a courtroom over the bayonet rifle threat thing, but nope, McFadden, that Kansas City attorney, had got yet another delay. So this town keeps standing up for itself, asking the legal system to help them, and all of these loopholes keep getting found, and Ken keeps getting released and, in one way or another, going free. And the townspeople were done. They were over it. The justice system had failed them. They were exhausted from being terrorized in their own town. So they decided to call a meeting. Town meeting. Yes. I mean, pretty much. And it's believed that a good portion, if not all, of the adults in Skidmore attended this meeting, which was just down the way from the D&G Tavern in the American Legion Hall. It's a red brick building. It's also rumored that some of the people in attendance were the sheriff and the mayor. I can't confirm that, but there are several people from the town who have said that those two were in attendance. And everyone got together to discuss, throw out some ideas, spitball if you will, how to handle Ken. They were just, they were done being scared. They thought about making kind of like a neighborhood watch and having people in groups follow Ken around. They didn't know for sure if that would work. People just couldn't understand how they could make their town safe again. And others were just shocked that he had again managed to avoid going to jail or even showing up in a courtroom. We're not exactly sure what solution they came up with during that meeting but the meeting ended and the attendees walked down to that tavern as you do to get a drink got it right i mean it's stressful you need a little i don't know vodka tonic to calm your nerves or budweiser or something so it's july 10th still 1981 ken and trina walk into the tavern and they are greeted by the angry skidmore residents And they're told that it's best if they just head on out, leave, not just leave the bar, 
leave the town. They need to go. They are no longer welcome in Skidmore, no longer welcome in Nottoway County. Trina begs Ken, let's go, let's go, let's go. They leave. They're heading towards Ken's brown and tan Chevy Silverado, which is parked in front of the tavern. The residents from inside the bar follow them out, and there are other residents on the street. It's believed that there are as many as 60 residents around the truck, and then countless other residents that were watching from store windows along that main drag of town. Ken is in the driver's seat. Trina's in the passenger seat. Trina looks around at this gaggle of people and is the first to notice that there is a rifle on a man's shoulder. So she tells Ken... They're going to shoot you. Ken does not seem overly alarmed by this. Seconds later, the Silverado's back window explodes, and then suddenly Ken is slumped over the steering wheel, bleeding. Oh, well, I mean, he had it coming. Mm Mm-hmm. Then a man opens the passenger door, leads Trina away from the truck towards a bank. Trina will later say that she was threatened to keep quiet or something bad would happen to her. But the way it looks is that they took her away from the scenario so that she did not get hurt. Once she was away from the truck, the shooting resumed, lasting for about 20 seconds. They wanted to make sure he was really, really dead. Super dead. After the rattle of gunfire, the only remaining noise was the racing Chevy truck engine as Nick's... Nick's? As Ken's lifeless foot presses on the accelerator, so the engine is just railing. Then everybody just walks away. No one calls an ambulance. Nothing goes on in this town. Everyone just leaves, leaving this wailing truck engine until it finally blows. Eventually, the sheriff arrives, and it's clear that nobody tried to save Ken. Here's just kind of a morbid, creepy little detail. One resident says that his brother helped collect Ken's teeth that were ejected from his mouth when the blast came through. For what? The tooth fairy? I mean, you can't just leave body parts on the ground. They didn't care at that point, I don't think. I mean, sure, but still. They gotta do their, they gotta do their job. Other residents claim that they heard fireworks around the time of the shooting there were some residents who were very close to the tavern that said i don't know i didn't i didn't hear anything parents gathered their kids called them home everyone returned to their houses leaving the street outside of the tavern completely empty now who did it Mm, hard to say but trina told police that she knew who the killer was and that the killer was Del Clement. Del owned part of the D&G Tavern, and Ken was believed to be kind of bad for business. Trina said in an interview that when Ken went to the D&G Tavern, it would lose about $60 that day from other patrons avoiding the location. As a proprietor, you don't really want somebody in your bar that's going to keep other people away from your location. Now you gotta take care of that problem once and for all. And Ken also stole livestock from Dell. So there's there's bad blood there for sure. Right. Trina thought, well, that that's enough motive. We don't need anything else. And Trina was set out. I mean, she was on a path and was loud and outspoken to get justice for her husband. She told local police. She told the FBI. And she told not one, but three grand juries and eventually the media that 
Del Clement shot her husband, but there wasn't enough proof. The police had nothing. As many as 60 people were there, and magically nobody saw anything. Well, yeah. Someone looked up and was like, it's a bird, it's a plane, and everyone's like, what? And then that's when it happened. Where? Aliens? What? Police, they played nice, they played hardball, but the town collectively was silent. The closest law enforcement got was a witness who said Clement and a passenger sped down a road after the shooting, but that witness had a change of heart and later recanted their statement. So in an entire town where supposedly most of the adult citizens were closest to the happening, they didn't see anything. Well, I didn't see anything either. I don't even know. I was dead at the time. Without other witnesses to corroborate Trina's story, the district attorney, David Baird, wasn't able to bring the case to trial. Now, there are some rumors around Skidmore about July 10th, 1981. Some of those rumors include that there were actually three to four shooters, which would explain the 20 or so seconds of gunfire. It said that the guns used were put in a blue van and driven to Cheyenne, Wyoming, but the gun that shot Ken first was tossed into the river. That's covering your tracks for sure. Like you do. Right. Trina settled with Nottoway County Sheriff's Department in a wrongful death case, winning $17,000. Wow. Dell, the man Trina accused of being the shooter, passed away in 2009. And to this day, the case of Ken Rex McElroy's murder has never been solved. And I think that the really... Only sad piece here is that, you know, he terrorized this town. The town agrees on that. They agree that he was just a complete complete piece of work. It looks like it's very likely that the town took their safety into their own hands. It's still murder, even if they are taking this path. But the victims in this really are his kids. Yeah. Because like I said, from everything that they've said, I mean, they love their dad. And... Um, a couple of the children went into town and actually saw the truck with the pieces of their dad throughout the truck and that they have trouble forgetting that. And if you're, I don't care how old you are, you see that that's going to be traumatic. Yeah, it's going to stick with you. Because, I mean, he was a brute. He was a jerk. He was. The town hated him. But to his kids, he was just, you know, dad. The children also claim, and they're now adults, uh, I would say in their 40s or 50s maybe, The children claimed that the town continued to intimidate the McElroy family, including those kids, going as far as to shoot guns in the children's general direction and even lighting the family home on fire. The McElroys eventually left Skidmore in fear for their own safety. That's crossing the line a little bit. The problem's been taken care of. I mean, the kids are completely innocent. Well, and let's be honest, even Trina... When all this was happening, wasn't, I mean, that old. I mean, she was young, too. And I don't think the wives really caused a lot of trouble. It was really just Ken Rex McElroy. Now we're almost 40 years from this murder, and the entire town has stayed silent. Not a single slip. No one left a deathbed confession. No one's been finally pressured into spilling the beans. It... It's just nuts how I can't even keep quiet about like a Christmas present I'm super excited to give somebody. But this town 
that seems to have gotten away with vigilante justice has kept completely quiet. That's dedication. So I'm going to end with this thought. It's a quote from Harry Macklin's book called In Broad Daylight. And he said, You don't have a town full of people who were hiding a guilty conscience. A lot of them didn't even tell their wives and children. They just went stone silent. And that is the murder and possible vigilante justice of Ken Rex McElroy in Skidmore, Missouri. A very interesting story. Most of the time you hear about, you know, victims and they truly were like good people and they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. But this guy, he had it coming. He did. He, I mean, he really did. He was not a nice guy. I don't think it was a case of, I'm not saying mistaken identity, but uh, I don't think it was a case of just one person didn't like him, so they gossiped and made the town turn against him or whatever. I think that he was just kind of a big brute. And then when the government, or I guess the legal system, let this town down, they thought they had no they had no other choice. Uh, if you want to dive a little bit deeper, there is that docuseries, No One Saw a Thing. I think it's maybe six or seven episodes. You can find it on Sundance. It's really, really interesting. That That is all. Whew. That was all. That was an interesting, interesting case to go down. There's a lot of information out there. It doesn't look like at least anytime soon it's getting solved, despite the number of not witnesses. Yeah, I don't think it's going to get solved until someone invents a time machine. I think they're going to... I mean, it's a close-knit community. It's fewer people now than it was then, but I don't think... I think if somebody was going to spill the beans, it would have happened by now. More than likely. Well, that is this week or this second episode of our mini murder sodes. Thank you so much for listening to it. We will be back next month with two additional episodes. So make sure to check those out. They are available to our patrons and you can get details on being a patron by going to aparanormalroadtrip.com and clicking the support tab. That is all I have. Do you have anything? Nope, I don't have anything today. All right. Well, until next time, maybe don't get murdered. Don't tick off your neighbors. All right, make good choices. Bye, guys. Bye. Hey, guys, Brooke again. Thank you again so much for listening to this exclusive mini murder sewed episode. If you like what you hear and want more of it, head over to aparanormalroadtrip.com, click on the support tab, and you can get all the details you need to become a patron. Until next time, guys. Bye.